What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Salt for Why Vlogcast. This is episode number 32, coming to you live from the Salt for Why headquarters. I have a very special guest with me today. I'd like to welcome my young namesake, my nephew. I've known this half. kid literally his entire life. I was thinking about this. You're literally one of two people that I've known their entire existence. Who's the other? Your mom. Uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's a fair point. Yeah. It's like literally from the second you took a breath. Yeah. I've known who you were and I've known who she was. Yeah. Worked out a lot better for you and I. Yeah, yeah. I think it like worked out a lot better for me. <laughs> <laughs> I benefited most out of this. Sure, sure. Yeah. Always nice to have the uncle who spoils you. Yeah, you know. Um, so as everybody can tell, once again, I'm lacking my co-host, my Dominican friend, <laughs> Christian Soto. The flag is down. It's going uh, on a month. I'm getting a little worried. Have you seen Chin? No, I haven't heard from Chin. I don't know where he is. No one knows. So I have some conspiracy theories out there. All right, let's hear him. Chin's missing as far as I know. Yeah. He's just poof. Gone. Yeah, he's Amelia Earhart, man. He's like flying over the Bermuda Triangle and just gone. Makes sense. Okay, so I have four conspiracy theories All right. that I have a lot of faith in. Okay. I think there's there's some magnitude to each. My leading one right now, okay. this is the one that I'm going with, All right. is that Christian is secretly the kingpin of a Dominican drug ring. And they were running short on mules. So he's down there, quote unquote, handling it. Have you met Chin? Do you know how soft he is? Handling it. I don't know. Chin's pretty soft. He has drugs up his ass. That's what I'm trying to say. No, no. I get what you're trying <laughs> to say. <laughs> no, uh, he's, he's a mule now. Yeah, yeah. no. Okay. I, I get what the terminology means. So you don't think that's happening? I mean, no. Not not, not coming from him. It's I possible. I don't know, man. He's got that Dominican swag. I he, think you he might what? have. He's he's elusive. It That is... Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe he just has this whole gang of guys down in the Dominican, like yeah. you know, getting that fine stuff. He's been fooling us the whole time. Mm. Okay, so this is my second theory, right. and I think this one's really strong too. There are a yeah. lot of a lot of clues that are saying that this may be true. Oh yeah, Christian is actually Drake's ghostwriter. Hence why Drake's IG screen name is Champagne Poppy. What do you think? This is the most plausible I've heard so far, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think he had to step away to reignite this beef that he has going on with Kanye. And I actually think the beef is between Chin and, and Kanye, not Drake and Kanye. That's fair. That's um, fair. All right. So this one, you're not going to understand. It's a poker reference, all but right. bear with me. All right, deal. Okay. So... I think that there's a strong likelihood that Christian has come down with a severe case of the shit reg disease and is currently in an underground 1-3 game with his hoodie up, sunglasses on, headphones on full blast, berating a complete and utter fish who sucked out with a gut shot on the river. I understood 90% of that. Perfect. <laughs> That's at least 70% more than I expected. The viewers at home are hopefully getting a laugh out of that because yeah. they understand the, the, the portrait that I'm painting here. Makes sense. Just, you know, just all tied up, sliding in chips real hardcore. Yeah. Getting yeah. sucked out on. Same song on a loop. Oh, yeah. The whole <laughs> time. True story. <laughs> 
All right, my last theory. This one doesn't have as much legs, but it's possible. Okay. There's a lot of incentive for him to do it. So the Aussie Millions is taking place right now. Yeah. In Australia, you know, yeah. you came with me. Yeah. Great time. fucking trip. Yeah. Man, we can talk about that. I'm so sad Great I'm time. not going back right now. Yeah, I don't know that I'd want to be going back right now though. No, nah, Melbourne's far away. It's like is 5 it, hours away from where the bushfires are. Is that more northern? I think more north east maybe. Okay. Um to my well, I, I'm not really great with the layout of. Yeah, yeah. Basically what I know of of Australia is Melbourne, Sydney, yeah, and then where we went, the great, <laughs> the outback, basically, yeah. yeah, the dangerous part, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. it's like really affecting the outback area. It makes sense. Uh, apologies to everybody in Australia. I love your, I love your country. I uh, just don't know much about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a backstory to this, uh, and I think what may have happened is he had to go over there to nurse some viewers back to health. Now, there's a home game in Australia led by Mark Wagner, okay. and they created a drinking game where they would take a shot every time Christian said, as it pertains to. 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 <laughs> From my understanding, they've been living in a drunken stupor since Vlogcast 16, and I think that Christian had to rush over there because he feels a responsibility to nurse them back to health. Makes sense. While being there... I heard that he may have joined the fire and rescue in order to help stay fit so that he can like yeah. still win this bet that he has with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also help contribute to the prevention of the extinction of the koala population, which we all know isn't really doing all that well with the brush fire and being the dumbest animal. Ever. Koalas in the rain. Koalas in the rain. No fucks given. So these are my four theories that I'm working off of. I don't know how much weight there is to any of them. I uh, I I hope I hope none of them are true. Yeah. I hope he's doing something much more interesting than this. Yeah, like you know, hanging out with his mom. <laughs> <laughs> that actually could be true. For anybody who has any conspiracy theory as to what happened to our Dominican friend Christian, if you have any insight as to whether or not he's been kidnapped, please comment below. Let us know that our friend is okay. Uh, you know, give us your best idea as to where his whereabouts might be. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can get him back here sooner than later. Yeah. Love to see him again. It's been a while. Yeah, you haven't seen him yet since you no, got out here. I haven't seen him the past three times I've been out, actually. All right. So before we actually dig in and tell the people why you're here and why they should sure. give a fuck. Yeah. Um, I just want to remind them. That we do have an upcoming academy, April 1st to the 3rd. Uh, we're currently at about half capacity. So if it's something that you're considering doing, shoot us an email, applications at solve4yacademy.com. Uh, we'll be happy to give you more information on um, what the details of all that is. If you are actually just looking to sign up, go ahead and head over to solve4y.io. You'll be able to uh, click on the academy website from there and uh, we'll take you through the sign-up phase. Uh, we're also doing an MTT Academy in May. It's going to be five days long. Um, same deal. If you want more information, feel free to shoot us an email. If you uh, want to just sign up, by all means, head over to the website. So let's dig in a little bit. Right. Um, why does anybody? Why, why should anybody care that you're here, man? You're you're a random twenty-one-year-old kid. Well, that, that's you don't a, play poker. That's a phenomenal question. <laughs> I do not play poker at all. 
not well. Um, no. <laughs> All right, good. Perfect. That's a great way to start. Yeah. All right, so uh, the real reason why they should care that you're here is because, in my opinion, I think that you have um, so, sort of an interesting story to tell. But uh, that aside, I think you have a relatable story to tell, which is yeah. probably a lot more important to most. Now, I can't imagine that the majority of our demographic is the, the teenager to early 20s. Yeah, most likely not. But I think that a lot of people, even in their mid-20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, can relate to uh, kind of like where you're at in life and yeah. how you've gotten to this point. Um, so I just kind of want to talk a little bit about like, you know, the last three years in particular, uh, especially since from my standpoint as your uncle, like this is where I've seen probably the most amount of growth yeah. and the most amount of struggle yeah. that you've... Yeah, that you faced uh, as far as it goes. So, yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about this transitional period. Like, what led you to get to Vegas and, you know, where did this all kind of start from? It all probably, it all pretty much started uh, right after graduation of high school. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, obviously. You know, I graduated in May and still hadn't decided if I was going to college or not. Right. Uh, I had applied to a few schools, didn't know what I wanted to do was unsure, wishy-washy about everything. And that eventually led to me taking a gap year and moving out here. It's kind of funny because like, I went through a similar process in the sense that like, I was a big fish in a little pond yeah. in high school and I didn't want to leave, man. They dragged me kicking and screaming. But I always knew that I was going to go to college Yeah, just because I finished you know, top 10 in my class. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was just a foregone conclusion that that was the next step particularly when pursuing baseball it's like well yeah. i wasn't gonna get drafted i wasn't good enough yeah so i had to go somewhere to hone my skills and like college seemed like an easy solution yeah but i was the same i didn't commit until like early may and it was sight unseen like i had put out uh, a recruitment letter to like 50 or 60 different schools whatever maybe heard back from like 25 percent of them yeah and didn't really have the means to go check out the ones out of state so at the end of the day i kind of just like powwowed with my friends and would just be like, okay, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? And like some would choose like schools that I didn't care to go to, like Edinburgh, IUP, Slippery yeah. Rock. Like I just didn't deem them to be educationally sound enough. Yeah. And I just landed on Allegheny College. It was like, it was a good school. They had a good D3 baseball program that just had been to the World Series. And they accepted me. So just like sight unseen. I'd never been to the campus. Nothing. I was just like, I'm going to Allegheny. It sounds very similar to what happened with me. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But I mean, no, I loved high school. I mean, the second half of it, at least it was phenomenal for me. I enjoyed my friends, my time, like sports was huge for me. I yeah. played everything from baseball to football to hockey. And that's how I spent pretty much a majority of my time. So leaving that was rather difficult. You get to this phase where you're really lost and unsure mm -hmm. of what you want to do moving forward. And then you have to decide okay, I'm going to go to college or I'm not going to go to college and what am I going to do? Well, so I guess like paint the picture a little bit. How much of your time and energy was invested in academics versus extracurriculars versus yeah. friends, et cetera? Because when you transfer or, or when you transition into college, you kind of don't have a lot of control over anything but the academics. Yeah. So in high school, I spent a majority of my time with sports. Uh, like I said, I played for three different teams, so that took up a lot of my time. But And then outside of that, I spent a large amount of time with my friends social life was very very important to me and you know uh, from friends to dating to whatever it was that was what i did a majority in my free time and 
school and academics itself wasn't really something that I really paid a lot of attention to or put a lot of effort in. But I was always a B student. I, okay. It came naturally. It wasn't yeah. that difficult. And that's kind of what happens whenever you grow up in a small town with a, an education program that's not phenomenal. And so I kind of took that approach moving forward. And I guess it, in some regards, I regret that. But in others, I, I really don't because it kind of developed me into who I am. So before I get transition you out of the high school phrase, I, I do want to talk about one thing that just crushes me to my core. Okay. Okay. So in the summer between your junior year and senior year, mm -hmm. uh, before you went to football camp, you came out here. We went to Tahoe for a week. Yes. And we all kind of brainstormed like a creative project you could get yourself into. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you remember. Yeah. But you were I, one mopey motherfucker back oh, then. Oh, 100%. So emotional. It was so hard, man. Yeah. It was so hard. And honestly, yeah. like seeing you now compared to even like when I saw you this time last year. Yeah. I noticed a world of difference, which is nice. It's nice to see you like wear your confidence and, yeah. and not be walking around counting the cracks. Ironically, I was very similar. Uh, I used to get that like I was like Eeyore when I was in high school and stuff. Yeah. But I think it was very different in the sense that I had these far-fetched dreams that I had invested 100% of myself in. Mm -hmm. And I think subconsciously I knew that they were going to end. Yeah. And that was a difficult thing to struggle with. Um, where for you, I think it was much more on the surface where it was just like, I don't know that you really had any ambitions to, to turn yourself into a professional uh, athlete. No, never. It was just something that I did for enjoyment. Right. So like, um, I want to talk a little bit about this idea we came up with and okay. why, why you ultimately were too resistant to pull it off. All right. Okay. So I'll set the stage. Basically we were just like brainstorming a creative project you could take up. We were getting a lot more into the multimedia side of things here at software wise. So I was like, you know, we have a, we have a platform for you. Just get out there and like do anything. Let's, let's have you do a podcast. And I really like the idea of um effectively what we're doing here on the vlogcast yeah with like cutaways uh you know breaks in the action where yeah. we're demonstrating other multimedia but doing it strictly in an audio sense so the idea we we both came up with was this podcast called to be honest and it was going to be an 18 year old kid yourself yeah. talking about the transitional phase from senior year of high school into college and you know i remember we got you all set up with like a zoom recorder, some mics, yeah. stuff like that. And it began with you like filming the audio of the locker room of high school football. Yeah. Yeah. It, it started with, uh, I had a few small ideas and I filmed some, some of our film sessions for football and just like, you know, the kind of daily life things that you go through as a high school student. And it, it was interesting to me. It intrigued me, but it was never something that I like, I guess at the time I just wasn't very ambitious or very passionate about it. Mm -hmm. So it was something to easily brush off. And it, that's kind of what happened. Well, it was more than that though. You were pretty resistant. If you recall, do you remember the first time we tried to get you to record? No. At Jace's? No, I don't. I just sat you down and like, had you uh, like basically go through an intro. Oh, I, I do remember this. Yeah. And you just couldn't speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I am an incredibly shy human being. Okay. So runs in the family. Yeah, yeah. That played a big role in that at that time period. It was a it was a weird time for me where like high school was the beginning of high school was very difficult. Uh, I had just moved schools and I didn't really have any social like circle. I didn't have friends and things were really strange and awkward 
going for someone who is so used to being involved in sports and having a having a large friend group and just doing things all the time to like being very introverted Mm -hmm. and it was a real struggle for me and i kind of allowed you to overcome that a lot of various things um I, i guess a lot of it was looking inward and kind of this is something i'm sure we'll talk about later but um a lot of introspection in my aspect to really examine why i was feeling what i was feeling and why i was the way i was and it's not something that i'm entirely over um everyone you know has things like that that they are going to struggle with throughout their life but it was something that i got better with as time went on sure and I think having like getting, developing close friends and developing a, a social group and you know things like that throughout time alleviated a lot of that stress. Yeah. So it made it it definitely made it easier. That's fair. So then, what led you to the point of uh, I guess this like resistance? Because it sounds like you have a lot to offer in the sense of you've experienced struggle. Yeah. So you can obviously speak to struggle, and you were in the shit whenever it came to transitioning senior year to college. Yeah. And I know that your core, like you were interested in trying to help people like through that transitional phase. Yeah. Was it just that like it was too close to home at the time? And now retrospectively, you can kind of like look back and say, oh, now I could do a pretty good job of saying like this, that or the other. Yeah. I think we're starting podcasts, what you're saying. Sure. Uh, (laughs) I didn't know where to begin. And that really frightened me. I didn't know how things were going to play out. And that also really frightened me. Mm-hmm. I'm someone that like really struggled with change as, when I was younger and I still do, but overcoming those things allowed me to be more open to things of that nature, I guess. I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say where the resistance came from, I guess. It's really weird. Like hearing you describe it because like, if I didn't know any better, I was thinking, I would think I was like looking in a mirror. Yeah. Like so many of these were my struggles too. I, grew up insanely shy yeah like and we 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 can actually talk about this i wasn't nearly as bad as you but i was pretty bad i can remember like i can literally remember to this day the first time i was able to walk up to uh a a takeout window Mm -hmm. and order i was 10 years old after a little league game in vandegrift and i went to um the small ice cream shop right behind the baseball fields in Leechburg? In Vandegrift. Or in Vandegrift. Whatever. Yeah, so I, I remember, remember like Pap was with me. Yeah. And he walks me over and he like had enough of ordering for me. He just yeah. couldn't take it anymore. He's like, if you want this ice cream, you're going to order it yourself. So I very bashfully walked up there and I don't know what I was so afraid of. I don't know if it was like being shortchanged and not having enough to pay for it or, you know, whatever. There's just anxiety that was built around the idea of a monetary exchange. And I remember like placing my order. You were worse. Oh, I was a thousand times worse. I wouldn't answer phone calls. I wouldn't speak to people. It it was rough. Yeah. I can remember you not like calling to order pizza for your group of friends. Yeah. At like 14. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. <laughs> um, it, it's weird because as I got a little bit older, I remember like my high school years, things like that didn't bother me. Speaking in front of a large group of people never bothered me. Um, you know, speaking to random strangers never really bothered me Mm -hmm. it was like the one-on-one personal interactions where you had to develop some type of connection that really frightened me and i don't really know why yeah i I can relate um yeah i mean kind of thinking back like I, i went through a lot of the same progressions uh and i don't know how much of it was like i mean for me i think it was different like i was always so 
apprehensive of people finding out like what my home life was like yeah. that I think I just carried this paranoia with me where it was like, well, the less that I speak, the less that they'll know. Yeah, and then yeah. there was also this matter of like blending in where, you know, uh, a lot of my friends and the popular kids or whatever the case may be growing up weren't like rocket scientists. So like you didn't really want to lead with your intellect. You wanted to lead with wit and charm and athleticism and all this other stuff. So again, it was just like kind of a way of, you know, mitigating social settings as best as possible. But uh, I carried this anxiety like all the way through my freshman year of college. I remember my freshman year, it was impossible to get me to go meet new people. Like I made a couple really close friends yeah. on the baseball team and then they would drag me to parties and to things of that nature. You were the same. Oh, I'm still the exact same. That's something that occurred, you know, a few months ago. So we both like went through the same process. I transferred after my freshman year, yeah. as did you. Yes. Uh, for me, that was a brand new beginning. I was a completely different human being when I transferred. I was at parties. I was meeting everybody. I had no problems like talking to girls any longer. Yeah. I just like developed this alter ego of like, I don't want to be what I was any longer. Like, yeah. It's caused me enough problems. And I think that was a real turning point for me where I basically hit rock bottom. I got cut from a division three baseball team where I was the only lefty on staff. And they basically said like, would rather not have you or not have a lefty than actually carry you forward on the team. And like that broke me. Yeah. But within a day I had transfer papers drawn up yeah. to like, you know, go to, I had like four or five other options uh, laid out before me. So I guess like for you, what was that process like? Um, transferring? Yeah. So I initially went to Duquesne and I think the really only reason I ended up at Duquesne was just everyone in the family being like, oh, Duquesne's a good school. Mm -hmm. You should go there. Yeah. And it was kind of one of those things where after taking a year off, not knowing, still not knowing what I wanted to do, still feeling lost, feeling, still feeling confused and everything. I got to the point where I was like, all right, well, I have to do something. So I guess I'll just go to this school. And I did. And there were a lot of reasons why it was a rough semester because mm -hmm. I only went for one semester. Yeah. And I was in business, which I was not very interested in at all. I just figured, hey, I could probably do something with this somewhere down the line. And it was hard to meet. It was hard to meet people and make friends. And I felt like I was an athletic person who wanted to be active, wanted to do things. And that's just not the way that a lot of the people that I was surrounded by were. And I wasn't outgoing enough to reach out and try to find those people. If you could go back and do it all over again, do you think that that would change now? Um, like knowing the college social structure a little bit better? I think that like I would make an effort to be more social and outgoing, but I don't know that that ultimately would have changed my path or my outcome. Well, I'm kind of more speaking to the extracurriculars. Like, yeah. To me, it drove me insane that you weren't just on every intramural team. Like that you weren't playing intramural basketball, football, yeah. hockey, uh, volleyball, like whatever they had yeah. to offer. Flag football. I don't care if it's dodgeball. Like just yeah. get out there, you know? The ironic thing is that like so I did do some of those things, but it was always when someone was like, hey, do you want to do this? And yeah. I'd be like, yeah. So I played intramural flag football and uh, I played a lot of pickup hockey and stuff like that. And it was a struggle for me to like not be doing that i like not playing hockey was a big struggle for me i went there knowing the head coach of the team thinking that like okay well i'll probably be able to play and then it got cut from the team mm -hmm. and so then i was kind of in this point where i was like all right it's whatever i guess i'm just being done being athletic like yeah. i guess i'm just done being active so you just like went from one polar to the other yeah that's fair so i guess like let's backtrack a little bit i kind of skipped over 
let's talk a little bit about the gap year. Okay. So um, you powered through high school. I knew at the end you were never going to college. Yeah. Uh, and I was just trying to be a good uncle and mentor as best I could. Yeah. Give you some time. Give you some opportunity. Yeah. Maybe you come around. And I'm not even saying this as like a big proponent of college. Uh, to me, like the four-year degree that you're going to earn isn't really worth the debt that you'll incur. Yeah. But you're in a pretty unique situation. Um, you know, your mom financially struggles a lot. So she's, you know, at or below the poverty line. Uh, you know, she she basically, after having you young, this is all your fault. Yeah, yeah. Right? Entirely so my fault. She had you incredibly <laughs> young. She had you at 15. Yeah. Yeah. And it basically broke her body. Yeah. Your fat ass head pretty much like split her in two. Yeah. And I remember yeah. this vividly. So like she ended up having like hip and back problems, ultimately had like a, a fracture of her either lower lumbar or S5 joint, uh, something to that nature. Yeah. It's like something in the pelvis area. Yeah. So I, I remember this vividly. After college, she decided to get spinal fusion. I think at the time she may have been like 21 or 22. So yeah, like I your think age. Like 22. Yeah. Yeah. And I was uh, a year and a half older. So I was like 24. I was doing well with poker and, um, you know she basically like had your dad look over you for about a month or so yeah. and i was in her apartment like nursing her back to health yeah she was a mess and she was just like really optimistic that it was going to work and eventually you know after some short relief it ultimately did nothing for her health state yeah i'm fairly certain it made it worse right i'm pretty certain now like 15 years later they probably wouldn't even perform the surgery yeah. if given the same situation so Essentially, she's just, you know, been in the shit her entire adult lifehood. Yeah. Uh, I've done a lot to, like, try to help her financially. But my whole point that I'm trying to make is that you were in a very unique situation where college was ultimately going to be near free. Not free, but near free. Yeah. And same, same with me whenever I went. Uh, yeah. You know, I ended up incurring, like, twenty or 30000 worth of loans for five years of school. But between scholarships and financial aid, like, most of it was covered by the fact that I was coming from poverty. Yeah. So I really wanted to push you that way, not because I think the degree is worth the debt, but because I think socially those formidable years between 18 and 22 are so, so critical to be surrounded by like-minded people who are of the same age, going through the same struggles, uh, you know, kind of like trying to figure out early adulthood. Yeah. You disagree. No, I actually do agree with you on for a majority of people. Um, my close friends, uh, I've seen incredible changes in them from the person they were when we graduated high school mm -hmm. to who they are now going into their senior year of college. And I would say that for a lot of people that I've seen go to college, I think it's very, very important for that aspect. And so like, I do agree with you with that, I guess just where I, I don't feel that it was right for me is when it comes to the social aspect of things i mean yes i still struggle with the with some of the anxiety and some of the the social situations and meeting new people but i didn't think that college was going to help me with that mm. it was one of those things where i was being more introverted than extroverted and i was shelling up in my apartment i was not going out i didn't want to go out and, and not doing your work yeah no i wasn't doing any work i wasn't right. going to class and it was one of these things where it was like, it ultimately, I don't want to say it was the cause of me feeling miserable, but I felt miserable. Like, So it sounds like you felt no responsibility to anything, your athletic side, your social side, your academic side. You just yeah. didn't feel calling to any. Yeah. Do you think that like, 
I swear we're going to get back to the gap year, but because <laughs> they're leading me down questions that I think are important. Do you yeah. think the fact that you don't drink or do drugs uh, hurt that social lubrication process or had no impact whatsoever? Do you think it like made you a judgmental person? Like, So whenever I was younger, it 100% made me a judgmental person. Mm-hmm. And... I, I do regret that, but that's something that you have to learn and go through. Like, there's no way that you you can just, I mean, you cannot be judgmental, but like coming from where we did and like, you know. I don't think you have to apologize for a teenage version of yourself. Yeah, no, not even that. It's just, it's just like one of those things where you kind of, at least where the, the reason that I saw it the way I saw it was largely from you and largely, you know, seeing grandma and you know etc i mean your mom not graham yeah, yeah um yeah. yeah so seeing a lot of like that just made me very like biased in a negative light towards it so it was something that like i largely hated whenever i was younger yeah. and it took me a long time to realize that like it's not a terrible thing it's just something that i've chosen not to do yeah so in that aspect when i was younger yeah it definitely made me judgmental but as i got older i got over that and i kind of had a better understanding of things and so in like my college like time and time as a senior in high school and everything like that i definitely wasn't being judgmental but it definitely definitely in college it made it difficult to uh to feel like i could go out and socialize because that's the pretty much norm uh, I'm the type of person who like was always looking for athletic things to do or active things to do. I was always trying to, you know, play sports or go hiking or, or, or whatever it was, anything. And like, so when my friends would want to do something that where they wanted to drink, but you know, we were also outside having fun, you know, at a fire or something like that. I was always tagging along. Yeah. But whenever it was a house party where everyone was just drinking, it was one of those things where I didn't really feel like I fit in at all. I think that's where sports helped me the most. Yeah. Because like that particular scenario that you described was the most uncomfortable of all the scenarios to me. Yeah. But like having uh, teammates who would just like rally behind the fact that I didn't drink rather than trying to pressure me into drinking. Yeah. They were they were awesome in that capacity. So it's like they would go out of their way to like introduce me to people and not make it about the fact that I didn't drink. Like it would never even get brought up. Yeah. Right. Like so many people that I interacted with throughout the course of college in house parties and stuff like that thought mostly that i was drunk yeah and it's like nice sense. when you can just like let yourself go in that sort of environment you yeah. kind of get to lose your inhibitions the way that you would if you were drinking without yeah. actually having to endure any consumption yeah so, so i guess like my follow-up to that is why did you choose a straight edge path uh oof. and am i supposed to believe that you're actually straight edge as your uncle well, I mean, you've known me my whole life, and I don't hide anything that I do from you, whether no matter how reckless or stupid it is. That's so, fair. I mean, I would imagine you'd believe that one, but um, I don't know. I I legitimately I, I ask myself this quite often. Um, I don't know what started it. It was one of those things where, like, whenever I was young, I just like, and they would have like the the drug preventions things in like elementary school and middle school mm-hmm. and everything. I just kind of thought of it and I was like, wow, like, why would you drink? Or like, if this is bad for you, why would you do it? And then I got older and like, I kind of like realized why people drink and things like that. And initially it was something that like, well, like I said, I had a very negative view towards it. So initially I was like, that's, that's terrible. Why would I ever do that? Yeah. And then as I matured out of that and started to become more understanding of it, it was still just something where I never really 
had the desire to to like experience it i guess um have you ever had any curiosity towards it i mean slight yeah i've been curious in the sense of like i like to understand people and i like to understand why people do things Mm -hmm. so i get curious as to what drives people to want to drink so badly and why it's so enjoyable but i've never been curious in the sense of like oh i want to drink Okay, so like speaking to the previous curiosity, like is that something that you feel like you can better understand through experience or through like creating, uh, I guess, like an outlet for knowledge, like reading up on it or um, doing it's, research? It, it, I don't know. It's it's something where it's like you can try to understand it through through reading and knowledge and whatever. But I mean, it's one of those things where it's like you and I, like we don't know. Yeah, see, that's funny like, because I have this debate a lot. Yeah. Um, I've literally never had any curiosity towards drugs or alcohol yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm highly intrigued by drugs like psilocybin, the active uh, ingredient in mushrooms. Okay. Uh, not to the sense where I want to test it myself, um, but to the sense of like, it seems as though there are like a lot of positive outcomes, especially for people who are suffering through some sort of trauma. Yeah. PTSD, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I have the natural intellectual curiosity towards these things and to the point or to the end of what you're speaking where it's like you want to be relatable to other people and you want to understand like where they're coming from what they're going through and all that other stuff yeah i actually do think that like being knowledgeable upon triggers and um you know what what's going on with our chemistry as well as like emotionally and things like that yeah i think that's enough to be empathetic like i don't know what it's like to starve but i can have empathy for somebody starving in africa you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, and that's I fair. think I think that there's this misunderstanding that in order to feel some sort of empathy towards somebody, you actually have to be able to say you experienced a mile in their shoes, rather than just being able to figuratively put yourself uh, in their shoes. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I'd agree on, on a lot of things. I guess uh, I guess it just like is a little different for like the drinking in my eyes because it's something that I dealt with like on a daily basis. Yeah, where it's something that was always around me, so it was like man what why does everybody like to do this so much yeah, yeah same I, I mean you know it's like anybody who's gone to college yeah, yeah knows what it's like on a random tuesday when people start day drinking yeah um how much of it how much do you think of my mom's existence kind of impacted you because it's not like you had a lot of experience with her she, she wasn't exactly in your life per se mm, no she wasn't but i think more of it was like my mom speaking of her and towards like how she was yeah that i i think it was less physically seeing her and like physically being around her and more so like the family thing where it's like you hear about her and you hear about like everything that's going on it's like wow that sounds rough yeah i just find it also fascinating because like of how much of our kind of like timelines align yeah or or i guess like how much of our worldviews align and i get it like i've had influence on you but you know, we've been apart a lot too. Yeah. Uh, I've been out here for 12 years now. Um, and that's most of your formidable life. So it's like yeah. our actual ex- exposure to one another is like, you know, via phone, holidays, etc. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because I wonder, like, like, I can't help but wonder, like, what actual environmental controls had such an impactful influence on you that in a lot of ways you like followed a very similar trajectory. I'm not asking for an answer. No, I don't have the answer. Yeah, I'm not asking for an answer. No, I agree. I think think it's an interesting uh, question to ask, though. 
Um, well, because it seems like if it's repeatable or, yeah. or if we can replicate it, then that's a good thing. That's yeah. something that we can potentially, uh, you know, produce at scale. And I'm not saying that the entire world needs to be sober. No, but I'm saying yeah, like yeah. specifically things like tobacco, alcohol that have absolutely very little upside and a ton of net negative. It's like if we could begin to replicate people who had just a sheer aversion to this kind of stuff, fast food, whatever. Yeah. Right. If, if, if we could put that on generations to come where there's just like mass aversion to these largely negative things like, you know, that, that's a big win for society. Yeah, I, I'd agree um, to an extent, though, that it, it all comes back to like the free will thing that we were talking about before that's a whole nother conversation yeah man. that's there's there's a lot of debate of whether or not we even have free will i know i know just uh you know yeah. the, the way the brain functions a lot of our decisions have already been made before we actually are conscious of it. i just read a great book called consciousness um very complex yeah you would enjoy it i think uh it's very scientific in nature but it it kind of strips down what consciousness is how much of it's measurable uh, you know what it's it's very theoretical in nature yeah, yeah, yeah. they obviously uh or i shouldn't say they we as a a, a society or uh as a human race don't really understand the brain all that much um but it's it's a really good thinker if you will yeah uh there's a point where they kind of posture that um consciousness can grow exponentially so if you were to hook two brains together their consciousness would effectively multiply rather than being two separate conscious consciousnesses. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. So, so like if, if you took my consciousness or you took my brain and your brain yeah. and we're able to somehow wire them together, our collective consciousness would grow, thus making us a much more conscious creature, right? So like our ability to, you know, basically tap into all the things that yeah. we struggle with or have barriers on would, would grow exponentially. Yeah. And what I kind of deduced from that is then, uh, you know, in very loose definitions, what that means is that, like, we ultimately are able to cultivate consciousness through connection. So, like, if you have a deep connection with somebody, that's as close to marrying two brains together that you could possibly get. And it stands to reason that, like, each individual's consciousness will then, like, kind of grow exponentially in accordance to the depth of the connection between two individuals. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It sounds very interesting. Yeah, it was a lot. It was uh, it was a very short read, but it was yeah. it was a challenging one to get through. All right, so let's talk about this gap year. All right, finally. Um, <laughs> because <laughs> uh, you made me miserable for twelve months. Oh please! Not in a way that we're like uh, I I didn't like having you around. Yeah. I was pumped for you to come out here. Yeah, I know. Um, and I was no help because just at the phase in life that I was, where I was starting a new business and. You know, I was never busier than yeah. I was. Well, now I might be worse than I was then. But either way, basically, I didn't feel like I was able to give you enough of what I had hoped to. But, you know, we sprinkled in like a trip to Australia. We did yeah. We did a lot of stuff where we, we had some bonding and stuff along the way. You were so goddamn mopey. Yeah. You were as depressed as a human being as I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, sounds pretty accurate. So, so, <laughs> so tell me like what you got out of that 12 months. Uh, what you know, conclusions you ultimately arrived at by the end, what you may have known that you didn't express to me then that you yeah. you can kind of understand now. Man, uh, I feel like I grew as an individual internally so much during those 12 months. And I think a lot of it was just me spending so much time alone, like in my room, just thinking. And as miserable as that sounds, sometimes it's good. Like, 
It's good to be in the shit. Yeah, yeah, it really is sometimes. I, I said this uh, a few vlogcasts back, but I think that we struggle to learn from successes. Yeah. And I think it's difficult to grow when you're happy. I would agree. But I also think the same is true when you're depressed. I think that like depression is uh, just a, a sheer, I don't want to say lack of will, because yeah. it implies that like somehow everything's out of our hands and I don't think that's necessarily true yeah. but it, it's literally like this this like essential rock bottom where yeah. we're just struggling to keep our head afloat we don't want to drown that yeah. kind of feeling or I, I maybe I'm just like you know kind of projecting a little bit because I'm not sure I'm not even sure that I've totally been depressed in my life but yeah. the whole point I'm trying to make is that I think sadness is like what really lies in between and it's like the greatest jumping off point to really grow, learn, and understand a lot more about yourself. During that 12 months, I don't know that I was necessarily sad. Um, I was lost is like the best way I can describe it. Mm -hmm. I it, it was so difficult for me not knowing where my life was going to take me and what I was going to do moving forward and who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do in my daily life. All of these things, it, it was like very, it gave me a ton of anxiety. And so, like, it got me into this state of what felt like depression. I mean, as close to depression as I've yeah. ever felt. So, in some regard, it was good because I learned a lot about myself and everything like that. But I don't know that I made much progress during that 12 months as to what I was going to do or where I was going to end up. Mm -hmm. At the end of it, I was kind of still just scared and depressed like I was at the beginning. I'd say I developed as an individual, like personally with my personal relationships with others and how I carried myself a lot over that time. Um, and I, that was due to some outside factors based on, you know, how I interacted with people and then realizing like, oh, this, this isn't really how I want to carry myself and this yeah. isn't how I want to be viewed. But when it comes to like the bigger scheme of like what was causing so much strife in my life, it, it was still the same at the end. How comfortable are you moving forward knowing that you're going to have that same anxiety three, four, five times again? Like this might be Man. your entire 20s. Uh, it's scary. It's it's one of those things where like it's scary because in the moment you don't know how to get past it. It's like you you deal with it every single day and you think about it and you're like, how am I going to get over this? Yeah. How am I going to get through this? What is causing this? And, and I think that like a lot of why I grew as an individual was because I was looking so inward trying to find the reason and the root of like why I was feeling this way and why mm. I was struggling like that. So it, it led to a lot of other growth in me as a person, but not in the areas that I was looking for. It didn't lead to any resolve. And, you know, maybe it was just time that I needed because eventually it did. Yeah. But it, at least in, in that period. It, Wasn't that kind of always the case that, you know, when you're in your greatest panic, the answers that you're looking for aren't the answers that you need. Yeah. And time is going to heal all wounds. Of course, kind of, of course. Nonsense cliches. But, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm kind of here to let you know that it never <laughs> stops. No, of course, of course. I'm 38, or I'm about to be 38. And I face these dilemmas all the time. Yeah. I just have more of a resume build up. Yeah. You know, I have more successes to lean on. I have more uh, assets to fall back on. But at the end of the day, there's plenty of mornings that I wake up and say like, okay, who are you now? Like, yeah. what is it that you're going to do for the rest of your life? How are you going to contribute to this world? Why the fuck does anyone care about you? Why yeah. do you matter? 
and, and those were all the questions that I was asking myself. And I think what I like finally concluded was that none of that mattered. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why I kind of became at peace with things. I realized that like at the end of the day, I just wanted to live a life that I was happy with and where I felt fulfilled. Yeah. And then I started defining like what that meant to me, like what fulfillment was to me and what would lead to my, you know, happiness. Because obviously, you know, we're going to go through swings and there's no eternal happiness. But, you know, you can put yourself in a situation where you're going to be better as an individual on your day-to-day life so talk to me a little bit about that because i think this is the area where you're going to provide the most value to people who are listening like like i said they're going through it too yeah. this doesn't just start and end at 18 to 21 yeah, of course this is a perpetual cycle that repeats over and over and over again into adulthood like it's really your first glimpse at adulthood that's why yeah graduating high school and going to college is so fucking scary yeah because you're just thrown in the deep end so i guess talk to me a little bit about like what you ultimately came up with as far as your protocols for what defines your fulfillment, your happiness moving forward and how you can lean into that the next time the cycle presents. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I pretty much just examined, I went back to the original looking inward on myself and examining who I was and who I wanted to be. And, and I came up with, you know, the fact that I am a very emotional person and connections and relationships and, you know, things like that matter a lot to me. And ultimately in life, I I want to feel happy, but in order to do that, I wanted to to make others feel happy, to develop connections with others, and things along that nature. And it's like still like right now, I feel pretty confident going forward, but I don't know how I'm going to achieve any of that. Yeah. Like I have this big goal in life to like do something great and to like make others feel fulfilled and and be really helpful to other humans, but like. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I have literally no clue. Yeah. So I was reading another book, uh, Simon Sinek's new book, Infinite Game, which you're a big Simon Sinek fan. Obviously, anybody who's been listening heard you say the word why 27 times. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it was great to help frame that exact problem set out in the sense that, and this is something that I think internally I always understood, but it's nice to hear somebody speak to it in very clear, concise terminology. Yeah. There's a big difference between finite games and infinite games, right? Sports are finite. They have a beginning and end. They have Mm -hmm. a set goal in mind. Um, You know, people who are kind of caught in the rat race or uh, are more the worker bee types, they're going to be playing a very finite game. Yeah. Right? They have a very clear progression ahead of them. They're going to put in X amount of hours for Y amount of pay and expect Z amount of um, raises and climbing the corporate ladder, whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. But whenever you get into business, uh, be it entrepreneurialism or, um, you know, you're basically in your white collar type yeah. of, of arenas where you're moving big pieces, you're trying to grow wealth, you're trying to uh, contribute to society as a whole. And then bigger picture, when you start talking about life, you're playing an infinite game. There's no winner. Nobody's crowned the yeah. champion of life, right? Like nobody at on their deathbed has their arm raised and say like, I did it, I conquered life. Yeah, There is no real beginning or end outside of the timeline of birth and death. And because of that, we're in this perpetual cycle where happiness is just a spectrum. And we are gonna ride a lot of highs and lows and we should embrace that whole process. But most importantly, um, whenever you're talking about value setting, which is effectively like what you're outlining by saying yeah. you, know, you want to contribute to others. You you derive pleasure from uh, the guidance and help of your community, tribe, or even stretching out further and mm-hmm. saying like your society as a whole. 
I very much align with that, obviously. Like, yeah. You know, that's that's my big vision too. Once you're able to set that in stone, now basically the framework through which you operate in the infinite game and set essentially the vehicle through which you are pursuing this doesn't really matter that much as long as it doesn't compromise your initial set of values, right? And that's where a lot of people will ultimately get lost. They'll create this system of values, but then start to put... Um, you know, more shallow endeavors at the uh, at the forefront. So they may set out to want to help people, and that's the vein through which they want to yeah. navigate life. But somewhere along the way, they get distracted and they just want to make money. Yeah, and they don't really have any purpose behind making that money, other than that seems like the natural pursuit. Yeah, and then they get lost and they find themselves playing a finite game, which ultimately they lose because that's just not the nature of life. So, I guess for me personally. Um, answering the same question that I kind of posed to you, what I found was process oriented thinking and just like falling in love with your day to day, your progression forward. Um, and, and like really enjoying the pain in some sort of sick twisted yeah. way where it's just like, not only do you, do you reap the benefit from the achievements and the highs and the lows yeah. or, or sorry, and the highs and the accomplishments, but you also like really embrace the lows. You know, you lean into the idea of being uncomfortable and, uh, you know, you kind of have this like sick, twisted mentality where it's like, no matter what, the version of me yesterday isn't good enough today. So I have to get after it again and again and again. And there's just like no letting off that gas. Yeah. And I don't know if that means I'm ultimately going to burn myself out and be worthless to society as a whole. But I do know that like I've come to enjoy that entire progression as it's unfolded. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I I think that, like, some of what you were saying initially, uh, I kind of, like, came to that realization on my own. But mm -hmm. it is nice to, like, hear it in a, in a concise form from someone else and, like, kind of put it all together. It makes it easy to, like, sit and think about it all at once. And um, more so to what you were speaking at the end, um, I guess that, like, that's something that I kind of always shied away from I, it was a weird thing where i i would get scared that i was going to fail mm -hmm. instead of like just pursuing whatever it was and I, I don't know what it is but like something has like where this switch has changed in me where it's like i just feel ready to attempt whatever yeah and excited to see what tomorrow holds and i'm not sure what caused that but i definitely would agree that like that's where you're going to end up being the most successful in achieving whatever it is you want it to be. You know I mean, whether it be yeah. helping others or whatever your goals are. I think uh, a willingness to be broke yeah, is a big part of that. And I don't know yeah. if you have that willingness because I've coddled you a little bit in that area. That's fair. I do think that you're pretty mindful of, of money and luxury and, and things of those, those nature. But I also don't think that like you've struggled to the point of uh, really having to worry about keeping a roof over your head. Yeah, of course and Things not. of that nature. Um, hopefully, you internally understand that, like, that's never going to be an issue. And not I'm not even necessarily saying, like, you always have a place to stay. Yeah. You will, but that's yeah. not the point I'm trying to make. What I'm trying to make is, like, you'll always be able to get by. Yeah. That can't ever be the goal. That That's kind of, like, 
something that I've realized over, well, I mean, I kind of like always felt that I knew that about myself is that like, I always wanted more and I didn't know what that meant. Like mm -hmm. I always wanted more and I was just confused like as to what that meant. And I was always thinking, well, I want to help people and I want this and I want that. And it's like, I kind of developed into this thing where it was like, I'm not scared of failing like yeah. I'm, I'm not scared of being homeless i'm not scared of you know worrying about where i'm gonna eat because it's like at the end of the day i'll figure that out yeah i can always figure that out like my big fear is living a life where i am not happy and i feel like i've wasted however many years and i'm not doing what i want to be doing so what do you want to be doing man that is a huge question <laughs> um i mean i i'm a super creative person that, but I also like love to work with my hands. I, I love to be active and all of these things that like I never really put together until recently kind of all came together where it's like I have this hobby and this passion that like I want to pursue. And it's it's not like the end all be all in my life. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I, I want to I want to work on cars. I want to be creative. I want to build custom things. And I have this goal to like I want to own my own shop and I, I want to do all of these like, you know, really different things than like what you're seeing in your day-to-day -day life of like oh i just i want to i like cars so like i'm gonna go be a mechanic yeah so like i have bigger goals than that but like even outside of that like i have much bigger goals in the sense of like like coming back to what we previously said i want to help people mm -hmm. i i want to whether it's a, a source of entertainment or a source of like a shoulder to lean on or whatever it is it's like i never feel better than whenever someone comes to me for advice and i can help them and i can make them feel like uh I actually made a difference. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, I don't know how I'm going to do any of that yet. So it's like, I have a semi direct path on, on one aspect of what I want to be doing in my day to day life. But my big, like altruistic goal, I don't have the means to make it there yet. But it's, it's not something that I'm too worried about either. It's like, I, yeah, you're I, 21. Yeah. I mean, I, I know I'll figure it out. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, it's weird because I think like in your 20s, you can possibly have more impact than you can in your 30s yeah. as far as using time as a resource. But in your 30s, you can have far more impact as far as like using um, your finances as a resource. Yeah. So it's like if I could go back to my 20s, I would have spent a lot more of my actual time um, cultivating a lot of these big picture skill sets and yeah. not worrying about that much about making money. Um, where in my 30s, like I feel like I've done a much better job of utilizing my resources as best I can where uh, you know my time is better served accumulating more wealth yeah. so that I can then redirect that wealth yeah. into areas that uh, will, will hopefully make some sort of big picture impact in, in the long run yeah um, since you have a vague understanding of what you want to pursue what fulfills you what makes you happy yeah what what fears anxieties and struggles then do you think that leaves you with um, I mean, there's a big fear that like I made a terrible decision dropping out of college and it's, Oh, I don't think you should be fearful of that. Well, I think you should be maybe regretful that you didn't put in your best effort. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I'm, it's not fearful in the sense of like, it, it kind of comes back to like what I said previously where like, I'm not scared of like not having money and I'm not scared of like struggling in that sense. Like I'll figure that out. Mm -hmm. I'm scared of not living a life that I'm happy with. And I guess like the, that comes back to the dropping out in the sense of like, well, did I put myself at a disadvantage to where like, I'm not going to be able to achieve that 
because I don't have this degree. And Be I don't, specific I, though. What would what would lead you to being at a disadvantage? Well, well, that's the thing is I don't legitimately believe that I am. It's just like that anxiety, which I get quite often I'm, I, for various things. I would suppose that it's actually a lot more social than it is economical. Yeah. I would posture that you are more afraid of being alone than you are of heading down a nine to five path or not doing enough to make ends meet, whatever. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm terrified of being alone. That's like one of my biggest fears. But I don't know that that's something that like I'm scared of in the sense that I, I won't be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I always planned on, on moving west. I always wanted to be out here. And I mean, I didn't necessarily think Vegas and like I don't know that this will be like a permanent home for me, but it's I always knew that I was coming out to yeah. the West. Yeah. And so like the social group, the social circle that I would have made in college would have changed anyways. Mm. And I, I know a lot of people that are like some of the people that I am closest with are going off in very, very different directions. Some of my friends are, you know, coming out this way and some of them will never leave my hometown. Sure. And that's okay. Um, it's one of those things where I guess the experience of like making friends and meeting people and being social where I wasn't really comfortable was more valuable than actually than anything else. Yeah. Because it's like you, anytime you move or anytime you're adapting in life, you're going to have to adjust your social circle as well. Yeah, I agree. And that was something I struggle. I still struggle with a ton. Uh, I came out here kicking and screaming. I wanted to just be the uh the best yinzer to ever live man yeah. I, I wanted to be the king of pittsburgh there was yeah. no part of me that wanted to come west uh i still can't believe i built a house here yeah it's crazy to me i miss home but i also think that like you know a lot changes uh being 38 and single in pittsburgh isn't exactly an ideal proposition you know it's, it's fair and being a professional poker player in pittsburgh is like the nut low so yeah uh these aren't really things that that are very sustainable you know, you got to make some compromises, I think, yeah. uh, in order to actually pursue your true happiness. All right, so I want to end uh, on a quick rapid fire. And I don't know how fast this is going to go because I didn't exactly keep it simple. But uh, I have I have five quick questions for you. All right. Just give me, blurt out whatever All right. you think the answer is. Uh, yeah. So this is just going to pick up right where we left off. What do you perceive your biggest hurdle being moving forward? um moving forward definitely social structure social circles and things like that Mm -hmm. um meeting people my age making friends and not feeling lost and like left out in this place that's three thousand miles away from everything i knew social wasteland too this place is weird man yeah it really is i mean like i've been out here for a year before i i spent a lot of time out here between you know 14 to now so i kind of know what it's like and it's like that's a little intimidating but i mean uh, what's your biggest fear facing adulthood past or present biggest fear now or previously no it comes back again to living a life that i don't feel fulfilled with mm-hmm. or living a life where i'm not happy you know working a nine to five where i, I like hate my life pop out, man. that's everybody's biggest fear in life i mean is it though a lot of people's biggest fear is like not having enough money okay that's and, fair and it's like one of those things where or, or like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I will ever end up having a family or not. And it's like, these are a lot of things that are very big questions that I don't have answers to. But it's like, at the end of the day, the biggest fear for me is just like hating my life. Yeah. 
Mine's being non-impactful. I think my greatest I, fear I would, is that I just like yeah. am forgotten. I, I would say that like that's really high up there for me too. Yeah. It's something that I don't think about every day, but like it's definitely really high up there for me. Yeah. It definitely plagues me more and more as I get older. That makes sense. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Your biggest regret thus far. Biggest regret. Um, it's like kind of two things, but kind of the same thing. I, I regret not doing the podcast yes. because I think back. I still think you should do it. I Listen, I'm not opposed to it now. Okay. But um, I think back to like then and the I just look at myself at 18 or 17 and then I look at myself now and I'm like I'm not even remotely the same person whatsoever yeah sure (laughs) whatever you want to call it you're soft man you're soft uh yeah sure we'll use that term (laughs) we'll just go with that but yeah I mean like just seeing the growth and seeing that everything I went through and like it would have been it would have been really great to to make content and hopefully help people because it's, like I said it's one of those it's one of my goals is to like help people and be there for people mm-hmm. and nothing feels more rewarding it's it's a selfish thing uh, as weird as it is it's I feel really good about myself when I help others so like I have this drive to help others yeah but like I think that's okay yeah I agree I uh... it's interesting that you have that that like drive inside of you because i don't know that there's i don't like basically i don't know what triggers that inside of you yeah i think for me personally i could say that like i was triggered by it because i was uh, just in a scenario where i required so much help yeah quietly growing up that i felt the need to like pay it pay it back pay it forward, yeah. whatever um but i I've, I've spoken to this a lot with my friends and i think if i ever do have a kid and I wish I would have been able to be like more in your life growing up to like kind of impart this, but it sounds like you turned out okay anyway. Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> but like if I were to ever have a kid, I think that like my number one goal as a parent would be to expose them to uh, like all walks of life, all economic yeah. situations. So like I would make it an absolute point, no matter how well I was doing. I, I think basically the mistake is like when people are doing really well in life, they try to deprive their kids of um luxuries in order to like make them quote unquote feel the struggle yeah but i don't think that's the way to do it i think it's to make them empathetic yeah so like i would have them at a very young age like volunteering at a soup kitchen yeah meeting homeless people meeting very sick elderly uh you know basically just like demonstrating what it is to be human you know like um i don't know if you follow uh the the ig blog um humans of new york no. Oh, I just find it like fascinating. So like yeah. this guy basically created this blog where he takes pictures of people in New York City and then he has them tell their story. And it's this eclectic mix of everything ranging from, you know, uh, Wall Street CEOs all the way down to homeless folk and yeah. everything in between. And it's like we try so hard to shelter ourselves from all the negativity in the world as if like if we don't acknowledge it, then it doesn't exist kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that like the best thing you can do, particularly if uh, you're in a situation where you're just able to provide a lot of luxuries to your kids, isn't to then suddenly deprive them and say like that struggle. Yeah. It's instead to like literally demonstrate to them what struggle is over and over and over again until they're able to like distill it down inside of themselves to where it's like, well, I'd, I'd like to help. Yeah. I, I'd i say it's kind of similar for me. Um, I just 
I don't know why, but I'm an extremely empathetic person. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know what caused that, so maybe that's like the I think a lot of the unknown. But knowing how you grew up and knowing how I grew up, I think a lot of it's from being bullied. Yeah, it's very possible. I think like whenever you're put into situations where like you have to emotionally defend yourself over and over and over again, yeah, you start to feel for other people who have it maybe worse off than that. Yeah, uh, and you can kind of like it, it becomes very easy to put yourself in other people's shoes. Yeah, uh, so I think sure. like struggle breeds empathy in in a lot of ways, regardless of what that struggle is. Yeah. All right. Um, person, place, or thing that you miss the most? Miss. Um, sports, yeah. 110%. Specifically hockey, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was always what I played most, always what I preferred. Um, just the feeling of, like, teammates and, you know, spending time with each other and, like, everything from practices to off-ice to actual games. Are you going to play it all while you're out here? Uh, hopefully, yeah. I I've played in a various amount of adult leagues since I turned eighteen, so mm-hmm. I'm sure I won't stop anytime soon. It's good. Experience, decision, thing, or person that you're most thankful for. Man, um, so experience would have to be like the three year nightmare that I just that like I went through of like 18 to like pretty much where I am now mm-hmm. like like I said I I definitely grew more during that time than any other uh, I developed as an individual so much and it's like from so many various different things that I I, I couldn't even like quantify it but I, I'm really thankful for that because I genuinely do enjoy the person that I am and like I didn't always feel that way yeah. So it, it's a nice turn of events. But when it comes to person, I mean, you, obviously. Oh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, okay, you're, you're like the only close family that I really have. Yeah, same. And so we're very similar. And it's like uh, I've learned a lot from you, and you've always pretty much been there. So it's it's nice to have someone who's like your best friend but also kind of like, you know, the parental figure i don't know it's it's a it's such a weird dynamic i like that i like that you're old enough now that we can have these conversations and they're not one way yeah yeah that's that's very refreshing uh and i think i kind of like started during your gap year probably around that area yeah because i i remember distinctly before that it was just me coming to you for advice constantly like yeah every every other day which was nice i mean it was like humbling for me that like you, yeah because i knew you to be shy so it's like it's and also like i grew up very shy so like my uncle I love him to death, but like I'm still very intimidated to even start a conversation, which is weird. Yeah, I'm an that's, adult. That's, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's yeah. just the way it is. You know, it's like um, yeah, I just didn't grow up with like close family. Yeah, uh, even your mom, my sister, like we're not super close. We can have a very easy text exchange, and uh, we can muster up a phone call here and there, but we don't hug when we see each other. Yeah, no, that's pretty much how majority of our family is. Yeah, yeah. very cold, very cold, yeah, very distant. Yeah, yeah. Very Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all uh, right, leave us with an impactful book, video, or routine that you swear by that helped you get out of the shit. We were talking a little bit about this earlier um, off the pod, but Mark Manson's uh, article, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, is really, really good. Um, the book, I tried to read it. It I got part way through it, but I, I think the article's concise enough. I recommend the article all the time, and I say the book was not worth it. Yeah. I think I, he just like found a, a, a really great concept in an article that yeah. went viral, 
and then just tried to convert it to money. Yeah, I'd kind of agree. I mean, I, I think any like small dose of content that you consume that inspires you or makes you feel some type of way um, that you can kind of hold on to, whether it be you, you watch it you know once a week or, mm-hmm. or you take quotes out of it and you put it on a vision board or like whatever it is, things like that like always help me. Um, I liked writing a lot and I would always write down like quotes from people that uh, really inspired me and I'd look at it anytime I was feeling like really, really down. Yeah. Um, so things like that are, are what definitely helped me the most. But also, um, man, I, I wish I could remember the exact quote off the top of my head. But there was the one by, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna say it because I don't remember who it was and I don't remember the quote well enough to, very to recite it. Very helpful. But no, it Give was- Give me the gist of it. Yeah, Maybe that, I that, can help. That was the plan. It, it was along the lines of like, um, believing that depression is very real, but if you're not eating correctly, if you're not trying to go to the gym, if you're not being active, if you're not, if you're not writing, being creative, doing all of these things to like put yourself in a proper mind space to, to get out of your depression or to get out of your, you know, whatever your struggle is, then you're not doing yourself any favors. I'm almost positive. This comes from the emotional first aid Ted talk. It's very possible. It's Bonus great. question. Oh, okay. Do you think you can kick my ass? I'll, I'll let you answer that one. Do you think you can kick my ass? <laughs> Are we gonna have a boxing match? No. All right, then we'll just say no. You can kick my ass. Yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> Only because you're trained, man. I've literally, I literally haven't been in a fight since I was seven years old. With Lamana. Oh, it was a fake fight. We didn't throw any punches. I know. I remember. Um, no, nah, man. Uh, I haven't been in a fight. I'm a pacifist. You know. I don't. I don't yeah. All right, that's going to be a wrap on Vlogcast 31. Hit us up in the comments. Smash that like button. Subscribe if you haven't already. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with my nephew. It was a little bit different. We got a little bit more into life. And, uh, you know, you get to see a little bit of my my other half. Really appreciate you coming on here, man. I love you to death. I'm so happy to see that you are making positive steps forward. Uh, And, you know, I'm I'm just happy that you're going to be here to kick it for a while. Thanks. I really appreciate it. All right. We'll see you guys again next week. Thank you. All right.